There's no handbook for your child's health, but we do have a podcast featuring world-class clinical and research physicians covering everything from your child's allergies to zinc levels. This is Kids HealthCast by Wild Cornell Medicine, and our topic today is at-home safety for children. My guest is Dr. Michael DeFeo. He's an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Wild Cornell Medicine. Dr. DeFeo, it's a pleasure to have you joining us today. I love talking about all things kids. So as we get going, what is the first most important thing you'd like parents to know and new parents to know about at-home safety for our little kiddos? At-home safety really is such an important topic. You know, there are approximately about 4 million household injuries per year among children and teenagers. That's, that's a high number. What I really like parents to know is there are so many simple measures which can be applied in their homes to decrease an injury. I, I don't want parents to feel like distressed or defenseless when you hear this high alarming number. This is something that we discuss at our well-checked care visits and and try to calm the parents down as much as I can. Well, I think that that's such an important point. So let's go around the rooms of the house. Let's start with the bathroom. What should we be aware of that can be dangerous in there? Bathing, showers, cosmetics, medications, so many things in the bathroom. Yes, a bathroom is a known dangerous room in the home. You know, the potential dangers are slips, falls, electric shocks, exposure to hazards, chemicals, and drowning also. Parents have to be aware. And so what I tell the parents, you know, is supervision is the simplest way to really avoid bathroom injuries. The child should never be alone in the bathroom. Some parents in my practice, they try and make this, this room not accessible to children. It's, it's a little hard and difficult to enforce, but they do try. Simple measures that I tell the parents are, you know, do not leave your child alone in the bathroom, not even for one minute. If the doorbells go off or if the phones are ringing, they should disregard them. They should just concentrate on the child in the bathroom. Another simple measure is adjusting the water heater to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. This would avoid scalding skin burns to children. You know, children tend to just go into the water without testing the, um, the temperature. And so it's very important that you adjust the water heater in your home. The toilet seat's another danger. As adults, get in the habit of closing the toilet seat. They also, you can also purchase a lid lock if needed. As you said before, medications, cosmetics, cleaners, they all should be stored in a lock cabinet well above the reach of the child. Now, one word about medications. You know, medication containers, they should have safety caps. And today, most do have safety caps when you get them from a pharmacy. But I tell parents, they must remember Safety caps are not 100%. Somehow, these little kiddos get into our medications and they find a way of opening them, even with safety caps. So even though medication containers have safety caps, they still should be stored in a locked cabinet out of reach. Lastly, about bathroom um, safety, I think, you know, parents need to inspect the bathroom, go in. They need to look for electrical devices like razors and hair dryers. Anything that's plugged into a socket needs to be pulled out and keep them out of the reach of the children. I also suggest sometimes in my practice to parents, you know, take the electrical appliances and just put them in another room. Completely take them out of the bathroom setting. That's all really good advice and so important for parents to hear. And as we're talking about moving around the house, I've heard, you know, people say that you should crawl around when you've got a little one that starts crawling and toddling 
to see what is pointy or where those plugs are or what they can trip and hit their head on. Let's talk about children and falling. How can we protect them from head trauma and serious falls? There's table edges and stairs and all kinds of things around. What do we do? You know, in preventing head injuries, I think the number one way of preventing a head injury is simply, you know, wearing helmets. We frequently see in our practice um, head injury from kids on their riding bicycles or skateboarding. You know, the statistics show that parents may not realize the importance of helmets. When you look at the numbers, 85% of bicycle-related head injuries could have been prevented by wearing a helmet. Now, in the practice, it seems that one question I frequently is asked is, how do I get my child, even teen, how do I get them to wear a helmet? They refuse to wear the helmet, and they don't want to wear a helmet. It produces anxiety between the the child and the parent. Some simple tips are basically uh, start at an early age. Encourage them to wear it at all times, and the parent should be a good example. The parent should wear a helmet and show the child. you know, the safety, the safety concerns. Allow the child to pick out his or her helmet. It may be the design. It may be the color. And both these factors may contribute to the child wearing the helmet. In addition, the helmets should be properly secured or properly fitted for the child. A helmet that's not properly secured could be more dangerous to the child if they were to fall and hit their head. Looking at other ways, you know, home safety prevents head injuries. You know, like you stated before, a few simple measures like children should not be jumping on and off beds. We see so many times in our practice that a child jumps off a bed, is fooling around, and the next thing you know, they, they hit their head on the floor and they have to go to the emergency room. The toddler beds, the rails should be always kept up. I don't truly advise bunk beds, but if a parent does have a bunk bed, I tell them to make sure the rails are up all the time. Placing bumpers and guards on furniture. You know, a child can fall, hit into a a sharp edge of a piece of furniture and lacerate their forehead or their head. So it's very important that you have these guards. Another one is safety gates at top and bottom of staircases. This will prevent the child from freely being able to go up and down steps and, and there's a risk for, you know, falling down the steps at a younger age. Lastly is installing window guards, making sure that a child cannot open a window and, and fall out. These are just simple measures to prevent head injuries. Well, they are pretty simple measures. And as a parent who did have those bumpers on all the sharp tables and chair edges, people thought I was nuts. But I I think it's such a great bit of advice. It's such a great idea. Are we still using baby walkers, Dr. DeFeo? Because, you know, back in the day, we put the little guy in there and they'd cruise around the house. But now people have like two steps down to the living room or basement stairs. Are we still using those things? Great question, Melanie. We are not. We do not recommend any type of walkers due to the potential for a serious injury. You know, baby walkers send thousands of children to the ER per year due to injuries. The walkers basically, they increase risk for head injuries, broken bones, due to falls. They also place a child at a higher level. A child can reach onto a stove and burn themselves. They can reach and and grab an object and ingest it that they should not be able to do so. And so, 
you know, baby walkers create potential for a serious injury. Well, while you're talking about ingesting things, and I want to get into choking, button batteries are something we've been hearing about from the American Academy of Pediatrics. What are they and where are they found? You know, button batteries, it's about 3,000 button battery ingestions each year. Well, it's not uncommon for when I'm on call to get a receive a call from a parent that their child may have swallowed a button battery or even may have placed it in their ears or their nose. Unfortunately, these button batteries, they're small, they're round, they're shiny, and they're very appealing to young children. The problem is that they're easily accessible through common household products. I'll give you an example like remote controls, toys, games, hearing aids. Grandparents come over and they leave their hearing aids out. There's, there's tiny button batteries and hearing aids. Scales, people in the kitchens like to weigh their food on, on scales. Garage door openers, these are all common household products that everyone has in their home. And um, this is where the potential comes for the child to get a hold of one and ingest it. Now, what the parents need to know, it's a very serious concern. It can cause a major injury. For example, a lithium battery the size of a nickel can cause serious injury. So if a parent feels a child may have ingested a button battery, they need to look for symptoms like coughing, drooling, even wheezing, gagging episodes would indicate a serious concern. If there are at all any suspicion, they need to take the child immediately to the emergency room. It's been shown that complications from button batteries can be seen in as little as two hours after they ingest it. Parents should also know not to give the child anything to eat or drink if they suspect that the child has swallowed a button battery. Wow, that's so important to know. Uh, Yeah. And Melanie, again, another very simple measure for parents to do is just to prevent this type of injury, just ensure that there's no loose batteries, that they're stored out of reach of the children. Look at the battery holder compartment. Make sure they're tightly sealed because if a child gets a hold of an object and they shake it really hard, they can open up that battery compartment. And some parents even, they pursue and they buy toys that are screw- have tightly screwed in the, the battery component so that if they're shaken or they're hit against a piece of another furniture, the battery will not fall out. Well, thank you so much, Dr. DeFeo, for that great advice. And, and we don't have a lot of time in these, but let's move to the kitchen because burns and scorches, it used to be one of my biggest fears. I mean, it still is. And I have teenagers and I'm like, get out of the kitchen when I'm boiling water or frying things. And then there's also choking for our littler ones when we're feeding them solids. And this could be a topic all in itself. But give us a brief overview of the kitchen and what you want us to know as the most important parts of the dangers in the kitchen. The kitchen is probably one of the most dangerous rooms in the household. Why? Well, we spend a lot of family time in the kitchen. And, and the children really want to be in the kitchen with us. They want to be part of that, the action. And so I know some parents do try to exclude the child from the kitchen, but, again, that's difficult to enforce. But there's so many potential dangers in the kitchen. As you stated, I'm not sure if parents realize, but 30% of all fires start in the kitchen, right? You, have, you can have an electrical fire. You'd be cooking in a pan and hot grease could cause a fire, leaving a stove on. The front burners can be also a problem. Another serious concern is burns, scalding-type burns. Again, 
the child gets into that kitchen and he's a toddler and he's able to now walk and then reach up and he touches the front burner. He can burn himself just by touching the front burner. Other scary stuff in the kitchen, knives, sharp instruments, cleaning chemicals, hot ovens, dishware. All These are all safety concerns. If you remember, Melanie, back in 2015, approximately, there were many children that were involved in accidents involving concentrated single-use laundry detergent packets. What, the, what was happening? The children were ingesting these packets. They thought they were, it was candy. And so, you know, they would end up very sick, having gastrointestinal symptoms, breathing symptoms. But taking more, when they looked at the, at the report, it was shown that 50% of parents did not store the packets out of the reach of the children. Again, Melanie, a simple measure that could have been prevented many children from getting into these laundry detergent packets. What are some other simple measures I recommend? Have the child sit in the high chair, you know, or set up a playpen in the corner of the kitchen so the child does feel part of the action. You know, you want to store all your cleaners, your furnace polish, dishwash soaps. You want to put these all in high lock cabinets. Um, I always tell the parents, purchase safety locks for all the lower cabinets. Their children should not be able to get into any lower cabinets. Place the pot handles towards the back of the stove and use the back burners when cooking. These are just simple measures that one can apply to their kitchen and hopefully decrease the risk for an injury to a child. Well, certainly that is what we are here to talk about, really, because it, it can be so scary for parents, and we don't always think of all of these little simple details that you're pointing out for us. Wrap it up, Dr. DeFeo, with your best advice for parents about keeping our little guys safe at home and when they're cruising around and, and really what you would like them to know as a pediatrician. I want the parents really to understand it's impossible to protect their children 100% of the time. I know they, they feel they can. It's really not realistic. However, with the proper guidance and providing them with the most up-to-date recommendations, as a team, we can significantly lower the risk of injury. We, this is a topic that at every well check, the parent should be discussing with their pediatrician. There's so many well checks during the first two years of a child's development. So, you know, this is a topic that should be discussed and they should ask their questions. If they have any concerns about their home, they can get into more detail with their pediatricians. And I think that, more than anything, will significantly, you know, reassure the parents and hopefully, you know, decrease if they have any stress about the situation and lower the risk for injury in their household. Well, thank you so much, Dr. DeFeo, and you're absolutely right. They need to discuss this with their pediatrician at every well visit and ask any questions that they have. And you've given us so much great advice today. Thank you so much, Dr. Michael DeFeo, and to our listeners. This concludes today's episode of Kids HealthCast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Wild Cornell Medicine podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Melanie Cole. If you or a loved one is undergoing cancer treatment, rehabilitation medicine can help with recovery and ease painful side effects. If you'd like to learn more about cancer care, we have a podcast dedicated to oncology. CancerCast, hosted by Dr. John Leonard, a leading hematology oncologist. 
All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.